Well, we are in a series entitled Unstoppable, the birth and growth of the New Testament church. A couple weeks ago, last week was Mother's Day, two weeks ago I talked about a time to reflect. Looking back on the first eight chapters of the book of Acts and gleaning big picture lessons that we can learn from the book of Acts. Today, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about totally new. The transformation of the life of Saul. And I'll refer to him as Paul as much as I can through this sermon because that's how we know him as Paul. But his original name was Saul. But when he came to faith in Christ, his name was changed to Paul. And he became one of the greatest church planters the world would ever see. He was a defender of the law, of legalism. He was a Pharisee. But by the power of Christ, he was changed. And he understood God's amazing grace. And by God's power, he planted churches all around the Mediterranean world, wrote nearly one-third of the New Testament. Some of my favorite writings in the Bible are written by Paul, the apostle. And yet before he was the apostle, he was the persecutor of the church, persecuting Christians with murderous threats. And we're going to look how God radically changed his life. The bottom line is this. No life in the New Testament was more radically changed by an encounter with Jesus Christ than that of Paul or Saul. And that encounter challenges us to understand our conversion from a biblical perspective. I remember reading a story about two Englishmen Uh, Years ago, these two Englishmen were atheists. They were antagonists toward the Christian faith. Their names were uh, Lord Littleton and Gilbert West. Now, these atheists, these antagonists of the Christian faith decided that they would set out to destroy Christianity. And they believed that if they could disprove two things, then Christianity would fall. And the two things they identified were, of course, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the other they identified as the conversion of Paul, Saul of Tarsus. If they could disprove those things, then Christianity, they believed, would fall. So both men went off to do the research separately from one another. Gilbert West took the resurrection, and Lord Littleton took the task of disproving the conversion of of Paul. Well, after they had done their research for months and months, they came back together. And without knowing it, separately, each one of them became a believer in Jesus Christ. And Littleton, who studied Paul and his conversion, wrote this, the conversion and apostleship of Paul alone duly considered is of itself a demonstration sufficient to prove Christianity and to be of divine revelation. I love that. He got it right. One of the most important events in the New Testament was the conversion of Paul. It's an amazing event. And we're going to turn there and look at it. Now let me remind you, there are three major sections of the book of Acts. We are in the middle section. As Paul is on his way to a place called Damascus up in Syria. He's going there to another country to persecute Christians and arrest them. That shows you how far his authority had spread. 
He's going all the way up to Syria, to Damascus, leaving Jerusalem. But on the way, he has an encounter. And he was on the way to persecute these Christians. The Bible tells us that the persecution was spreading. The Christians were being scattered. Devout men had buried Stephen, who was killed for his faith. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison with threats of murder and death. So I want you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. We're going to read the story of Paul's conversion, one of the greatest events in the New Testament. It says this in Acts chapter 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, going all the way to the north, so that if he found any belonging to the way, now that was the initial name of those who followed Christ. They called it the way, and you probably know where that came from, right? The verse that was probably said again and again by the followers of Christ when Jesus said, I am the what? The way, the truth, and the life. Jesus wasn't a way to God. He was the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That verse was being shared left and right in the new church. As Jesus proved he was the way by rising from the dead, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That became the name of the early church. Later, in Acts chapter 11, uh, believers will be called Christians for the first time. We'll get there later as we study the books of Act, book of Acts. The, so he's going to Damascus that he might bring them back to Jerusalem, these Christians. Now as he went on the way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. So a light is coming down from heaven flashing around him and falling to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. I love that, don't you? Paul was persecuting the church, and Jesus from heaven with this light flashing down on Saul, being knocked to the ground, says, hey, you're persecuting me. Now that shows the amazing identification that Jesus has with the church. When you persecute my followers, you persecute me. When you persecute the church, you persecute me. And this man, who was so much a hammer, wanting to break the lives of Christians, was brought to his knees by the power of Jesus. And he did a 180, a 180 that day. Jesus went right to it. He said, but rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with Paul stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. This persecutor of the church, knocked to the ground, blinded by the power of God, was now a follower of Jesus Christ. He had encountered the living Christ, and Saul learned this. That when you persecute the church, you persecute Jesus. 
And his life was transformed. And I don't know what your story is. I don't know what your story of your conversion is. Uh, converting from an unbeliever to a believer. But my prayer is every one of you know the story of your conversion. You know that moment when you came to faith in Christ. Paul would share this moment again and again. He would talk to people about his conversion. And just like in John chapter 3, when Jesus says, hey, you must be born again, he's talking to Nicodemus. Sadly, the phrase born again has become to many unbelievers a sign of some cultic term. It's not. It's simply referring to what Jesus talked to Nicodemus about, that you are born physically and then you are born spiritually when you come to faith in Christ. There's a moment when you're not a believer and then there's a moment when you are. Just like there's a moment when someone isn't born and then the next moment they are. I had six births in my family that I watched. There was a moment when they weren't born, then there was a moment when they were. Same is true spiritually. What's your moment? Please don't say, well, hey, I grew up in a Christian family. I've always been a Christian. No, that's not true. That would be like saying, I, I grew up in McDonald's and therefore I'm a hamburger. No, of course not. That's not what it's about. You have to make a decision yourself to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's your moment when you believe that his death on the cross paid the price for your sins. And at that moment, I'm sure Paul was very familiar with Christian theology. He was persecuting these Christians. He knew now that what the Christians believed in, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, was true. And that his death paid the price for even Paul's sins. See, what's your moment? You have to understand how important that moment is in your life. See, Paul had checked all the boxes of Jewish belief. He was a Jew circumcised on the eighth day. This is all from Philippians chapter 3. Of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Did he follow the law? He was a Pharisee. Did he have zeal for his faith? He persecuted the church. That's how much zeal he had. And he was blameless when it came to following the law. But all of that, following the law, following all of these works things in his life, and that's all they are, works, all in his eyes now were loss. It all had kept him from knowing Christ. And I want to talk about some marks of a true conversion. What do we see in the life of Paul? that tells us that this change was true, that it really happened in his life. Here's the first thing. Paul's life was now under new management. Paul's life was now under new management. See, he was stopped by Jesus on the road to Damascus, and Jesus said, hey, why are you persecuting me? But now I'll tell you what to do. You go into the city of Damascus, and find out what your next steps are. And this person, who was a persecutor of the church, was led as a blind man into Damascus because his life was now changed by Christ. That blindness that he was experiencing was a message being sent to Paul. Your life before you came to know Christ was blindness. You were blinded by all of these things that you were putting your faith in. 
But now Jesus, after three days, is going to open the eyes of Paul. His life was under new management. He was being led by Jesus from this day forward. When you come to faith in Christ, that is a mark of a true conversion, is that you now know your life is not your own. You don't live your life for your desires because they're loser desires anyway. It's a dead end path. And you know that the wisdom of Christ makes sense because he died and rose again, verifying that all he said was true, that he truly is the creator of the universe, that he truly does know the way and the truth and the life, and that he can change you from the inside out. When I was a senior in high school, I bought a car for my older brother. It was a 1967 aqua blue Mustang Fastback. I loved his car. And he wanted to get another car, so he sold that 1967 aqua blue Mustang Fastback GTA, inverted hood scoops, mag wheels, automatic. He sold it to me for the price of $750. Now, you might say that's a good price. It was. But the car did have some problems. It had a lot of rust on the body. I was living on the East Coast, and as you know, snow on the East Coast, salt on the roads, just wears out the bodies of these cars. I had a lot of rust on my car. It did not look good. There were also engine problems, problems with the suspension. But I had a kid in my youth group. I was a youth pastor uh, my freshman year in college, and I still had the car. One of my youth group kids said, hey, my dad's an auto body mechanic. He can do some auto body work on your car and fix it all up. So I said, great. So for a great price, he took all my uh, rust on the exterior of my car and made it look really nice. Looked great on the outside. The problem was it still had those engine problems on the inside, right? still had the problems on the inside with the suspension and there were still things that needed to be worked on. And even though it looked great on the outside, I had a number of mechanical issues with that car moving forward because it wasn't changed on the inside. See, that's what God does for us. There are people going through life that look really good on the outside but inside they're not right with God. Ephesians 2 would tell us that they are dead in their trespasses and sins. They can't have a relationship with God because on the inside we're dead spiritually because of our sin and our rebellion. But the day that Paul came to faith in Christ, he was under new management. The Bible says that when a person comes to faith in Christ, they are made alive again. They're born again. Their spirit becomes alive. They now can have a relationship with God. And the sin that separated us from God, taken away by the amazing death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what makes the conversion of Paul so powerful. If Paul, who was involved in the murder of Stephen, who was persecuting people for following Jesus, if he could be forgiven, if he could be used by God, then I can too. And, you know, Paul's opinion of himself, looking back, was not that great. In fact, Paul described himself in the New Testament in a number of different ways. I wrote down a few of them. Paul regarded himself as a brand plucked from the burning fire. 
He described himself as the chief of sinners in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He was less than the least of all saints in Ephesians 3.8. And he was the least of the apostles. He said this about himself, I'm not fit to be an apostle. See, there was a humility now about Paul. A humility about what he had done, knowing that he had been involved in the murder of Stephen, that he had persecuted all these innocent people. But he was a trophy of God's grace. And for all of us who understand the conversion of Paul, we should be encouraged today that when we come to the foot of the cross, we are welcomed by our God. That there is no sin so great that it cannot be covered by the death of Jesus on the cross. See, Paul's life now was under new management. He would be led by the Lord. That's called the Lordship of Christ. In Acts chapter 9, he was told by Jesus, get up, get into the city. You'll be told what to do from now on. I'm going to lead you, Paul. You're you're not going to lead your life anymore. Your life is under new management. By the way, you welcome that. Who wouldn't want the creator God of this universe to lead you? Who wouldn't want that? His wisdom is unfathomable. We desire Jesus to lead us, and he does through his word. See, Saul does not say, hey, I think I'd like to accept you as Savior, but I'm not ready to accept you as Lord. There are people that have done that. They want to go to heaven, but they don't want to be led by Christ. They want to get all the benefits of being a Christian, but they don't want Jesus cramping their style like it's really something that they should protect. Because believe me, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God gives you an abundant life, a life that's worth it. And all these things that you thought were so great before you came to Christ are only dead ends. See, 2 Corinthians 5.17, a verse that Paul writes says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old passed away. The new has come. Do you get the power of that? That you are a new creation. Now, when a person comes to faith in Christ, they may not feel all that radically different. They may not feel like they've been zapped by some electric bolt. In fact, I would say most people don't feel that way. But when you come to faith in Christ, there's a conviction that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he's alive today. And the promise is real that when you place your faith and trust in him, you're forgiven. You're that new creation. The old passed away. Behold, the new has come. Unlike my car that only changed on the outside, but was the same lousy engine on the inside. God takes us and recreates us, everything about us. And he begins this process of growth in our life called sanctification, making us more and more like Jesus every day. We want that to happen. We want to be like Jesus. It would be foolish to try to be like anyone else in this world when we could try to be like Jesus. Now, yes, I've had people in my life that I've looked up to and They have been a challenge to me. I want to be like them. But ultimately, it's because I see in them someone who's like Jesus. See, Romans 10, 9 says this, Therefore, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. See, it's not enough to say, I want all the benefits of being saved, God, but I don't want to follow you. Can't do that. 
You receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Your life is under new management. You want to be led by Jesus. Philippians 2, another powerful passage by Paul. His writings are amazing. Philippians is one of my favorite books of the New Testament. Philippians chapter 2, my favorite chapter in my favorite, one of my favorite books in the New Testament, says this, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Is he the Lord of your life today? Is he the Lord of your life? You know, there have been times I've met people that uh, when I tell them I'm a follower of Jesus, they look like, I am too. And I'll tell them, talk to them about my church. Oh, that's cool, that's great. But I can tell there's not a connection. They, they kind of intellectually agree with what I'm saying, but there's not this spiritual connection. And I have often thought this in my heart, that it comes down to the lordship of Christ, the lordship of Jesus in their lives. A believer who says, I will take my direction from Christ. My life is under new management. That was true of Paul. And we'll see that again and again as he is persecuted for his faith. Here's the second thing. Paul's eyes saw things in absolutely new ways. Paul was blinded by this light that came out of heaven. Jesus spoke to him. Why are you persecuting me? The identification again with the church. Paul began to realize that the church was something Jesus loved. And as he persecuted the church, he was persecuting Jesus, the creator God of this universe. He saw the church in a new way. He saw this world in a new way. His eyes were radically changed. Even though he was blind for the next three days, he began to see things from a totally new perspective. And that happens when you come to Jesus, my friends. You see life from a totally different way. I had a friend who used to own a convenience store back in Chicago. And he said to me, Mel, I, I, was, I wasn't a Christian for years. And I, people were witnessing to me, and this couple that kept witnessing to me, and they invited me to church. I wouldn't go. And believe me, every time I saw a person walk through the doors of my convenience store, I saw the potential to make money off of them. I saw dollars on their forehead. That's what I saw. I saw them as the potential to make money from them. But he said, you know, one day they shared Christ with me again. They invited me to church. I went. I was transformed by the power of God. And I want to tell you from that day forward, I never looked at people that entered my store in the same way again. I never saw those dollar signs on them again. I was changed by the power of God. I was changed by the power of God. Saw things in a new way. We had the opportunity to get to know one of our next door neighbors when we moved into our new house in Illinois. And we invited them to church. And uh, this couple that was next door to us came to church. And they heard the gospel message and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I remember one day we were having a street-wide garage sale. And my neighbor, Jim, was taking out all of his CDs out to the front of his house to sell. And I said, Jim, what are you doing? He said, Mel, these are CDs from my old life. I can't listen to them anymore. I'm going to sell them and get them out of my house. I realize I can't listen to this music anymore. This music isn't who I am. I said, oh, way to go, Jim. 
So he brought it out to this table and was selling them at the front. And after about an hour, I noticed, he picked up all the CDs and he walked to the side of his house and I saw him dump the CDs in a garbage can. I said, Jim, what are you doing? He said, Mel, I realized I don't want others to listen to this music either. I don't want others to listen to this either. See, he saw things in an absolutely new way. I love that. See, that's what God does for you. And all of a sudden, the scales just fall from your eyes and you realize that this world was created by our awesome God and that there is a God who loves us all the way to the cross. And that's one of the most important things anyone can ever realize. Do you believe that with all your heart today? Have you placed your faith and trust in Christ? Do you see things in a radically new way that you are here to do the will of Jesus Christ to transform this world? And the church is Jesus' bride. We see that in Ephesians 5. Husbands are told to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. The picture there is the church being the bride of Christ. That's the kind of love that we're to have in our lives. We see things from a radically different way. See, the world doesn't get that. That's what the Bible says. Paul wrote this. The natural person, the person who doesn't know Christ, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. See, people who don't know Christ, who don't understand what the cross is all about, who don't understand who Jesus is, they don't get it. Of course they're going to look at us and say, well, what are these Christians doing? But those of us who understand the amazing gospel of Christ, and that's only because God has done a work in our lives to let the scales fall off our eyes so we can see the grace of Christ. When that happens, you see things in a totally different way. Life is radically different. You see problems in a totally different way. All of us have them, right? We all have problems. We all have situations. But without Christ, when you don't believe in Christ, when you don't believe there's a God, for example, you see those problems in a radically different way. But with Jesus, you see those problems in a way that the Bible describes to us, that these are opportunities for God to grow us up, to make us trust him more, to not rely on ourselves. And it's not like, why me? But what are you trying to teach me, God? What are you trying to teach me? This virus is a great example of that. God, what are you trying to teach me as a pastor? What are you trying to teach me as a father, as a husband through this? What is it teaching me about slowing down and spending time on the things that are ultimately the most important things in my life? What what are the lessons, God, that you're trying to teach me? And we should have our antennae up all the time, receiving those messages from God, being sensitive to what the Holy Spirit convicts us of during this pandemic that we are in the midst of. God, what are you trying to teach me? I want to see this world and this life from your perspective. I want you to change me from the inside out. Every part of me, every nook and cranny of me. And going back to lordship, by the way, that means you can't hold any compartment back. You can't say, God, uh, you can have the rest of my life, but these compartments over here are mine. Don't change me there. 
Don't get involved in these compartments of my life. They're mine. See, that's not the Lordship of Christ. The Lordship of Christ is the realization that God's way is best. And I have to give every part of my life to him after coming to faith in Christ, saying, my life is yours, Jesus. It's yours. Is there anything you're holding back right now? Anything in your life that you're holding back? Open that area of your life, that part of your life, to the inspection of Jesus Christ. See, the marks of a true conversion is the realization of my helplessness, that I can't earn my way to heaven, that Jesus' message is unique in all of human history, that our God made a way for us, but by faith in him is how we open up that way for ourselves, that we believe Jesus died on the cross for us can't do it on our own can't make it on our own like paul he had all the boxes checked right wasn't enough he was helpless before god and that day on the road to damascus he realized and here's a verse from ephesians chapter chapter 2 and you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which, which you once walked following the course of this world it's how everyone in this world who doesn't know jesus is walking following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. See, we were dead. We couldn't earn our way to heaven. Here's the next mark of true conversion. It's the recognition that Jesus' way is best, a hatred for my old ways, a recognition, Jesus, your way is best. 2 Timothy 3.7 says this, avoid such people who are always learning, never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Now, I've met people like that, very uh, intellectual. They know a great deal of knowledge, but they don't recognize Jesus as the God in flesh that he is. They never come to the realization of the truth of Christ, never realizing that Jesus' way is best, that it makes sense, and the evidence is there for it. It's powerful evidence. Yes, it'll always be a step of faith. Always that step of faith to believe in Christ. But the evidence is powerful. You're not throwing your brains out if you believe in Christ. Just the opposite. You realize that all around you are the fingerprints of God. Here's the next mark of true conversion that I see. It's a rejection of self-centered pride. This Paul who was a persecutor of the church, was now being led as a blind man into the city of Damascus. This pride that he had in all of his accomplishments was now gone. And he realized what he wrote in Philippians chapter 3, that all of these things were but rubbish. They were garbage. Because they were keeping him from knowing Jesus. He needed to humble himself. And let me tell you this today, church. God loves humility. Yeah, it's really hard to attain. It's always difficult to discern whether or not you're getting better at it because the moment you think you are, have I lost it? Have I lost my humility? But God loves us to humble ourselves before him. That changes the way we read the word of God because we read it with a teachable heart. That changes the way we interact with people that wrong us because we realize our own sin And we don't get caught up in our pride and say, how dare you treat me like this or like that? Who are you to talk to me like that? 
See, humility gets rid of it all. It gets rid of all that. That's what Paul needed to learn that day, a rejection of self-centered pride. John chapter 3 says this, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. People love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. See, for us to face our shortcomings, our failures, our sins, and say, God, I get it. I need you today. I humble myself. And sadly, for a lot of people, they come to faith in Christ when a boulder drops on them and out from under that boulder, they reach out and they say, God, help me. My prayer is that most of you who may be listening now and have not made a decision to follow Christ won't wait till that happens. But you'll see the wisdom of following Christ now. Here's the next mark of a true conversion, a reception of God's people, the church as my people that you love the church. Do you see it in the text? Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Well, Paul was persecuting the church. Well, why did Jesus say that? Because the church is God's people. They are the bride of Christ. Jesus loves the church. And you cannot say, believe me, church, you can't say, I love Jesus, but I hate his bride. Can't say that. Can you imagine if you're married today? Oh, I love you, but I can't stand your, your spouse. See, Jesus loves the church. He loves the church. And our love for Jesus means that we love the church as well. And we get involved in the life of the church to make a difference in this world for Jesus Christ. See, Paul began his trip physically seeing but spiritually blind. He ended it physically blind, but spiritually seeing. What he formerly thought he saw, he no longer saw it that way. His eyesight had been changed. His discernment had been changed. What he formerly did not see, he now did see. He didn't see Jesus as the Messiah, but now he believed it. He came to the realization of what the Bible prophesied about for thousands of years, that Jesus would come and do exactly what he did. What was formerly gained to him was now lost. And what he formerly despised, he now cherished. He hated the church. But now he knew he needed to love it. Because of the power of Jesus Christ, because of the message of Jesus Christ. Saul, why are you persecuting me? You cannot love Jesus without loving his people, the church. And you don't truly love his people if you don't love being with his people. Isn't that true? Can't say, oh, yeah, I love the church. I haven't gone for years. Can't say that. No, because God has gifted each one of you as believers in Christ to use your gifts and abilities in the church. I can't wait until this church is packed again and we see people using their gifts and abilities all around the church, doing things for Jesus, because we say here at the end of every service, all for him, all for Jesus. Thank you for being a church like that. And there is no separation between love for Jesus and a commitment to his church. Yeah, you can't say I love Jesus but hate his bride. Can't do it. Many out there say they love Jesus but are only marginally involved in the church, some not at all. So what happens at conversion? 
people around you encounter the same things, but they can't hear the voice of God. Like the, those who are traveling with Paul, they heard a voice, but they didn't see anyone, and there's no record of them changing. Some people read the same books, they hear the same sermons, encounter the same questions, but it sounds like noise to them. It's amazing how the gospel hits some people in one way and other people in a different way. My prayer would be that if you haven't made a decision for Jesus Christ, that you would humble yourself today and follow him. Paul, the mighty, was now kneeling before God. Saul, his previous name, was a reminder of that powerful first king of Israel, but now changed his name to Paul, which means small. So Saul the mighty became Paul the small as he humbled himself before God. Paul, the one who thought so clearly, was now being led by his hand because he is blind. Paul, the one who seized others, now himself was seized by the Lord. Paul, the hammer who broke so many Christians and hurt them and arrested them, now himself was broken on the anvil of Christ as he gave his life to Jesus. I love what one writer put. He said, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so Saul was three days and three nights in the dark. When the scales fell from his eyes, he saw everything in a new light, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in Christ. And every truly converted person can say, I once thought I saw, but I was blind. Now by God's grace, I see. And lastly, as we close, Paul's heart was given, given radically new affections. Paul loved radically new things. He loved Jesus. He loved the church. He saw the world as needing Christ. Philippians 3.8, he wrote this, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, all those things, all those check marks I had, and I count them as garbage in order to, that I might gain Christ. Do you understand the grace of God today? Have you made a decision for Christ? Now's the day. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. Have you told him? Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Be sure of your salvation today. Be sure that you're forgiven. Place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and have that conversion moment in your life when you know beyond a shadow of a doubt you're a child of God. And you'll be amazed by God's grace. You'll be amazed by the person of Jesus. I believe this, and I think it's a wise statement. The ultimate test of our spirituality is our amazement at the grace of God. He has the power to change us. He died on the cross to set us free. There's no other person in all of human history like him. And today is the day to put your faith and trust in him if you haven't done that already. You can do that by simply praying a prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you paid the price for my sins. I put my faith and trust in you. Jesus, I open the door of my life. Come into my life and change me from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Riverview Church, thank you so much for joining us today. We love you. God bless you. 
Look forward to seeing you again when we gather together as a church, and we'll let you know when that happens. And live this week all for Him.